Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, creatives. Before we get started on today's incredible episode, I wanted to make an announcement to all our local Bay Area babes. GGC is coming back in real life. Woohoo! Seriously, so excited. We will be hosting our first craft fair since 2019 this June 12th at Oakland Scottish Rite in the parking lot outside. So if you're a maker, you can go ahead and apply. Apps are open now until May 23rd at midnight. So head to girlgangcraft.com slash apply to get that app in. Please read all the instructions carefully, pretty please. And if you're local and want to come shop, please do so. June 12th, 11 to 5. Seriously, we cannot wait. I'm so excited to be with you all in person, doing our thing. Really excited. And if you're ready to shop now, you can, of course, check out our small biz directory at girlgangcraft.com slash shop small. Shop from 60 plus small female forward brands from all over the U.S. from categories like jewelry, vintage apparel, CBD suites, and more. Check out Knotted Shop, Feel Good Fiber Art, Colorful Bags, and Pom Poms That Pop. Follow on Instagram at knotted underscore shop and shop knottedshop.com. Coupon code GGC20 for 20% off. Check out Emerald Hearth, inviting balance into the home one element at a time. Follow at emerald underscore hearth and shop emeraldhearthcreations.com. Coupon code GGC20 for 20% off. Plus, Chick of All Trade, brand design and illustration for businesses who are ready to take their branding to the next level. Follow at Chick of All Trade and take 100% off logo and mood board packages with mention of GGC, chickofalltrade.com. Again, get shopping from small femme forward businesses we love, girlgangcraft.com slash shop small. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Super excited here today to invite Molly Alleman to the podcast. Molly is a full-time health coach for individuals who are looking to make peace with food, stop dieting, and start their own intuitive eating journey. She works with clients one-on-one, offers online courses, and also a nutrition plan to help you transition from dieting to intuitive eating. Molly works with wellness entrepreneurs and offers one-on-one consulting as well as an online course, the Corporate Dropout Academy, to help launch and grow their business. For more information, visit balancedbymolly.com and click the shop page. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thank you. So happy to be here. So happy to have you. I was trying to think about how I first connected with you. And I I couldn't remember. I was through the internet at some point. And I know that we like met at Renegade and maybe a couple other craft fairs. I don't know. Yeah. I used to frequent Renegade, both Renegade and West Coast Craft when I lived in San Francisco. And I think because a big part of my business I don't talk about a lot is toppling the patriarchy. And since that's a big part of what you work on as well, 
I was definitely attracted to you and your business and what you're all about. I love it. It's so, I love the podcast because it's so great to be chatting on the internet with people and then to actually like sit down and chat one-on-one. So it's great. Really excited to have you. Yay. Okay. So also we can edit this out too. Just if there's, we can just edit out anything. So you can pause right. or say start over. No freezes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, let me just write that down too. Freeze. Cool. Okay. So let's just get started right away. So how did you get your start in the nutrition world? Yeah. So I used to be, I'll probably get into this later. I used to be full time in corporate banking, working with technology companies in the Bay Area. It was a really, really high stress, really, really high stress job, very demanding and a lot of traveling. And health wasn't really a part of my job. It was very stressful. You're often just kind of eating by the seat of your pants whenever you have time to grabbing on the go. There definitely wasn't really a lot of nutrition in my professional life. And in my personal life, I had my own journey with nutrition that kind of tied together before I left my corporate career to create my own health coaching practice. But really what it is, is when I started my own personal journey with nutrition, a lot of my colleagues started asking me about how I ate and how I approached nutrition and what I did when I was traveling and meeting with clients and kind of asking for advice. And so it kind of opened up this idea of, you know, all these individuals who are working the corporate life mostly pre-pandemic, right? We were traveling a lot and you're working 12-hour days and nutrition wasn't really at the forefront of your mind and how to incorporate that into your daily life in a more impactful way. So that's kind of where I got my start. I, I went back to school. I went to a school in New York called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which took a more holistic approach to nutrition. That was wonderful. And part of the program also included how to launch your own business as well, which was great. So you were Bay Area and then New York and now Portland. Portland. Yes. Yeah. Been in Portland for about a year and I'm loving it here. I think, you know, the pandemic really opened up opportunities, I think, for a lot of people to not have to work in one spot. I've been running this practice for about four and a half years now. And I had an office in San Francisco in the Mission District where I took clients in person And so once the pandemic hit and I closed my office, I just didn't really have a reason to stay in San Francisco anymore. And I had my heart kind of set on Portland for a while. And so I I made the leap. Very, very happy to be up here. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So, okay. So what does your, tell me a little bit more about like your practice today and what you offer clients and what you do. Yeah, of course. So I started my practice as really a general nutrition practice and worked with both women and men just in terms of helping them figure out how to eat that worked best for their bodies, right? So really the idea of like bio-individuality, which means that food impacts each one of us in a different way, right? So how you eat or how your how your boyfriend eats or how your friends eat will affect your body in very, very different ways. So it was more about finding a way of eating that works specifically for you. And I say general in the sense of a lot of people who came to me 
usually when you talk about nutrition, people think about weight loss, right? So a lot of women were coming to me for weight loss. And what I noticed very early on in my practice was that it was so much deeper than just wanting to lose weight. And there was this kind of like this disconnect with their relationship with food. And I myself in my 20s had struggled with both binge eating and a new kind of disordered eating called orthorexia, which is obsession with clean eating, obsession with ingredients. And I started to see that a lot with my clients as well that were really struggling around food rules, around yo-yo dieting, and kind of borderline disordered eating, not eating disorders as we talk about in terms of like the big ones like anorexia and bulimia, but more on the side of like the binge and restrict cycle and also orthorexia in terms of obsessive thinking about food words, taking up so much space in their life. These were all just like really smart, intelligent women who were spending all this time thinking about food and how it was going to impact their body and their weight and exercise and fitting this certain standard of beauty and using nutrition to get there. So within my first like 10 clients, I had one woman ask me to work with her on healing her relationship with food. And I was very transparent and said, you know, I've never done that before. I have struggled with disordered eating myself, but I've never worked one-on-one with somebody to do that. And she said, well, I'm willing to put that trust in you if you're willing to try it out. So we did that. We worked together for about four and a half months and it was really, really wonderful. And from that, I started to get more and more clients who were looking to stop traditional dieting and to find a way of what is called intuitive eating to eat just for their own bodies and become really an expert of their bodies to learn how to trust your body versus some diet plan or some diet guru out there who tells you that gluten and dairy are the most terrible things that you can eat, etc. So that's kind of how that got started. And then it's definitely grown since then, but it's been really great. So let's break down two things. One, why is dieting bad? And two, what exactly is intuitive eating and how does this counter dieting? Yes. So about 90% of diets lead to disordered eating. So statistically, we know that dieting takes us away from listening to our bodies and trusting our bodies, right? Dieting is rooted in oppression. So when you think about it, when you think, and this is just beyond being a woman, but also for people of color as well. So Dieting is a privilege because you get to choose, right, what you do or do not eat. Dieting is a privilege because you have access to certain health foods that many people may not have access to. And that's oppressive in and of itself, right? But also the oppression for mostly women who diet, who believe that they have to look a certain way to not only be healthy, but also fit into society and be desired as a woman and fit into the male gaze, right? So dieting is a way of controlling one's body through food in order to lose weight. There is a part of dieting that's talked a lot in terms of if you have a chronic disease, right? So if you have autoimmunity, oftentimes you follow a specific diet for your health. 
that is very different than yo-yo dieting for weight loss that has can have severe effects on your metabolism and also severe effects on your relationship with food, which is why it can lead to disordered eating and eating disorders. And what is yo-yo dieting? Yo-yo dieting is, this is why like diet culture really exists. So yo-yo dieting is going on and off diets. So we probably heard about that kids in the 90s, right? About Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey was a big yo-yo dieter. You watched her weight go up and down. She's a big spokesperson for Weight Watchers and would always talk about kind of what diet she was on and off of. So dieting, what it does is it hooks you. It gives you the promise, right, of weight loss. And usually in your first diet, you do achieve some weight loss, right? But what happens is a diet isn't sustainable. So I'm going to use like Whole30 as an example, just because that's one of my favorite diets to talk about because people put that in the category of a lifestyle instead of a diet which is also what diet culture loves to do, right? So Whole30 cuts out major food groups. It cuts out gluten, it cuts out dairy, it cuts out grains, it cuts out legumes, right? It cuts out certain sugars. It's very restrictive. And so 30 days is hard enough, but to be able to sustain that diet long-term, meaning going the rest of your life, not eating gluten, dairy, sugar, grains, legumes, alcohol, it's pretty much impossible, right? So What happens when you restrict for that long period of time, your metabolism starts to slow down, right? And also, you at some point want to go out and get pizza with your friends. So eventually you come off it, right? So like you think about a yo-yo is coming on and off a diet, essentially. So you come off Whole30, you gain back some weight. Your metabolism is already slowed. So by the time that you yo-yo back to dieting again and restricting food groups, it becomes harder to lose weight. And so then you restrict more and it becomes hard to lose weight. And that's where the back and forth and yo-yo happens. And that's what diet culture wants you to do because they wouldn't make any money if you only went on their diet one time. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So what is intuitive eating? Intuitive eating is essentially the opposite of traditional dieting. So intuitive eating doesn't impose guidelines about what to avoid or what to eat or when to eat. So intuitive eating says that you can be your own expert of your body and its hunger signals, period. And that's it. So instead of following some health guru or Gwyneth Paltrow's way of eating, right, or some diet, you're able just to listen to your body's own wisdom of what it truly needs and wants. Yes, period. Amen. Check mark. (laughs) Keep it simple as that, right? It's just the opposite of dieting. Yeah, I want to just like give a little bit of my personal experience in here. Also, I mean, so I have a history of eating disorders, bulimia, and just like restrictive eating or maybe not actually restrictive eating, but restrictive eating in my brain. I remember going to Weight Watchers when I was like 11 or 12 or something. And I was like a tiny human there. Like there was no reason for me to be in Weight Watchers. My friend was doing it. You know, looking back, you know, she had her own stuff that she was working through and a parent that was telling her to work through it. I'm not sure if I phrased that correctly. She had a mother that was bringing her to Weight Watchers. And obviously there was their own stuff associated with all of that. But yeah, so I found intuitive eating. I went to therapy a couple times for bulimia. And in college, went to therapy for someone who specialized in eating disorders. And she gave me the intuitive eating book. I don't know the author of 
or which one if there's multiples yeah. or Evelyn AAA is the main. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. And it really revolutionized everything. That and mixed with yoga, I think really sort of saved my well, fixed my bulimia. I think and fixed my disordered eating. But I think some the restrictive mindset comes in waves for me. And obviously my my own relationship with my body comes in waves too. Yeah. But intuitively eating is something that's I I like to say it's a practice too, because you have to keep practicing it. <laughs> you do. I mean, it's kind of like yoga being a practice as well. Intuitive eating is a practice. And usually the cycle of restriction is related to body image. And most women and most clients that I work with are triggered by any changes in their weight. And anytime there's a change in their weight or they have a bad body image day, this usually is what triggers restriction, right? So restriction can come in many different forms and it can be very tricky, right? In terms of like identifying it when it's there. And restriction really is what causes a binge which is usually what might cause a purge as a result of it, right? So I always say to my clients that you're not a binger, you're not a purger, you are a restrictor, number one. And what you should try to heal is actually the restriction. And when I say restriction, breaking it down further, is not only the physical restriction of the food, but also any mental restriction and emotional restriction as well, which is probably why yoga was really, really helpful for you, right? Because what disordered eating does is it creates trauma within our body, right? So of any of us who have been to therapy and have worked on trauma, right? Or read books about it. I'm trying to think about like famous book about trauma that I've read that trying to, oh, the body keeps score. That's a great one. If anybody wants to read a book about trauma and how your body keeps score, but what yoga does is within those poses and you're holding poses, right? That also creates stress on your body. But it's different because what it does, yoga, the practice of it is creating that stress by holding that pose and then releasing and coming back to your body, right? And so when you have all this trauma that you've held for many years from whether it's bulimia or binging or extreme restriction, right? The practice of yoga or even breath work or meditation is so great because it causes you to, to stress your body in a way and then come back to baseline, right? So that, that practice alone. And that's kind of like the practice of intuitive eating as well. You're challenging yourself to step out of your comfort zone of eating every single time. You're challenging yourself to break food rules, right? Any rules that you have around food, whether that's, you know, no carbs at breakfast, if I'm going to eat them at dinner, right? Eat a light lunch if I have dinner plans with my friends, or I had pasta last night for dinner, so I'm only going to have a smoothie for breakfast, or I don't eat before noon, or I stop eating at 8 p.m., right? Or no snacks in between breakfast and lunch. Like there's so many food rules. I can go on and on and on and on because I used to have them myself and I help a lot of my clients break them. But that's really challenging and it's really outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of us exist in our eating disorders for so long because it's comfortable and because it's what we know and it's our identity too. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's 
feeling ready to sort of break away from their restrictions and not to mention all the other stuff that comes with it. For me, I think the most harmful part of all of it (laughs) was the obsessive thoughts in my brain, right? And they're much quieter now and they're like a little bit different, but I remember it was just exhausting. And so, I mean, maybe we won't talk about, you know, therapy stuff for our brain right now, but like, but like if someone's feeling like ready to like handle it, what sort of steps can they take to sort of get rid of some of their food rules and sort of embrace intuitive eating? Yeah. So the the first step is to actually take out a piece of paper, write down your food rules. The first step Mm. is awareness, right? I've never done that. That's interesting. That's kind of scary. That's super scary. Very surprising how many we have. Because and like if they still exist too, like I'm sort of trying to think and like I feel like I've gotten rid of all of them, but I definitely have. There's no way. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. when we do break a food rule, we can replace it with another, right? So I was talking with a client today who broke her food rule of no fried food and she went out and she got fried food and, she, and we were celebrating how wonderful it was that she had that, right? But then what happens is she starts to create a rule of how often she can have fried food and how often she allows herself to have it. Right. So that's just like a nuanced point that come that will come from breaking your food rules. But I think it's really important for any change. The awareness has to come first. Right. So just to become really aware of what your food rules actually are and to, to write them down on a piece of paper. So they actually stare back at you in the face and you're like, Whoa, (laughs) That's a lot. And that's a lot of stuff to filter and to think about every single day, three, four or five times a day, depending on how often you're eating, right? It's just a good place to start because it acknowledges where you are, right? And then I often say, put them in order. Order your food rules and at the top of your list, write the ones that would be easiest for you to break. And at the bottom of your list, write down the ones that would scare the shit out of you. Like that would just really like makes your chest tight. makes you really uncomfortable to even think about doing that. Right. So then you have an order for which to tackle them. And I have a freebie on this too, that I can send you to maybe put in the show notes as well. So your listeners can click on it and it has all these steps written out for you because challenging your food rules. I often use like the phone a friend, right? So let's say that one of the more low hanging fruits for you is to eat ice cream full dairy ice cream, not coconut ice cream, not Halo Top, right? But real good ice cream, buy right, whatever, you know, phone a friend and say, let's go out and get ice cream. And watching your friend order the ice cream and watching them eating ice cream and you doing that with them makes it so much easier. And it's also outside of your home, right? Because a lot of times with food rules, it's really uncomfortable to keep certain foods in our house. So it'd be a lot harder to go and buy a pint of ice cream because then it's you feel like it was in your freezer and you think about it a lot more rather than doing it where you have it, you're out with a friend, right? It's about like connection and sharing joy with that friend of yours. And then you can walk away, come home, right? And maybe even journal how that felt for you to have that. Did that ice cream come with feelings of guilt after having it? Yes or no. And if it did, why do you think that is? Right. So it's like creating this awareness and then curiosity around your food rules of why they exist and and why you feel guilty when you have certain foods as well. That's so interesting. And okay, so 
I think I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm pretty good with this. But (laughs) then I had this moment this weekend where someone was going to get a bagel for me. And then we were going to also have a sandwich for our picnic. And like that was too much for me. And then I was sort of like, okay, we'll do that. I feel like there's a gray area. So like, how do you know when it's like, this is a food role versus maybe I just know that I don't like having that much bread in my tummy in one day and I know I'm not going to feel good. Like like when our connection to our food intuition is so severed, like how do we figure out what is a food role and what is our, our actual connection with our body? Does that make sense? Totally. And I think the, the question to ask there, right, is, is it healthier to obsess about the type of food that you're eating meaning like is it healthier to obsess about having carbs for breakfast at lunch than it is to have it right and have some tummy bloat for the rest of the day knowing that it will go away right so is it healthier to obsess about that food is it healthier to feel guilt and shame after eating it right so kind of reprogramming the way your brain thinks about health and what you are okay with, right? Like a big part of healing my relationship with food was being okay with some general digestive symptoms, bloat, heartburn, gas, Mm. right? It's when it's not painful and when it eventually goes away, like my relationship, being able to have the dairy or the baked goods or the bread that might cause some of those symptoms was so much more important to me than restricting it, right? Because I didn't want to have bloat, you know? So it's just really like your comfort level and what you're comfortable with. And I think it's like, if you are uncomfortable with bloating, you need to really ask yourself why, you know? Mm. The fear of bloating can also be rooted in fat phobia, right? Like the fear of looking like your stomach is bigger than it actually is. You know, and so I think it's like being okay with having a bloated tummy, which is really normal, especially for women. Like we usually have bloated tummies right right before our our cycle and before a period. It's normal. It's there to protect. It's there as a protection, right? Low grade inflammation or bloat is actually there as a protection, and it's actually really normal until it becomes painful and consistent. That's kind of the difference between the two, right? So I think it's to each individual. And that's kind of what I work with my clients on is really understanding their comfort level there, but also understanding why it is that they don't want to be bloated. You know, that's so interesting. I'm trying to think of, here's me playing devil's advocate. Like I'm sort of like, okay. So if bloating, yeah, we like, we're trying to figure out our comfort level with those things and why, why we feel like that way for me, something that sometimes happens that is definitely bad that I don't want is like migraines. But I actually don't think it's connected to a specific food. But like I do sort of reduce my coffee because it causes anxiety for me. And sometimes it causes migraines. So I guess it's just like a personal thing. Like what ailments, you know, do you not want to deal with? (laughs) And it also comes down to choice too, right? So it's not so much that you're restricting bread, right? For the purpose of weight loss or believing that a salad is health, the healthier choice, 
right? Really what it comes down to is giving yourself that choice. So for lunch, you have a choice of having a sandwich or having a salad, right? Versus the restrictive mentality or the orthorexic mentality is I will only have a salad for lunch. A sandwich is not the choice ever. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. That, that choice is there and you can kind of discern between, will this give me blow? Will this make me feel uncomfortable? Will this make me crash at 3 PM? Right. But at least you have that choice between the sandwich or the salad in your mind. And sometimes intuitive eating is really just going to a restaurant, looking at the menu and being like, you know what? The best thing on the menu that sounds good to me is actually the salad. That just sounds best to me right now. That's intuitively eating versus sitting down and saying, what's the healthiest thing on the menu? I can only order that. Even if there's something else on here, that actually sounds better to me. Cool. So part of like intuitive eating too is also like understanding when you're full, right? So if you're disconnected to that, what are some signs of being full? And I know maybe that's silly. Maybe it's not. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it actually really starts with like hunger first. So one thing that's really important to understand about intuitive eating is that intuitive eating is not just eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. That actually kind of goes back to to a diet, right? Because when if diet culture didn't exist, intuitive eating would just be called eating. That's it, right? And totally. what that means is that sometimes we sometimes we don't eat enough and sometimes we eat too much. It just happens, right? Like we aren't going to get it right every single time because eating isn't about getting it right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it really starts with getting back in touch with our hunger cues before we even start thinking about our fullness cues. Because what dieting does is it takes us away from being able to feel hunger. So let's say that, you know, another form of dieting is intermittent fasting, it's skipping breakfast and ignoring hunger and not eating until noon or 1 p.m., right? The more that you ignore that hunger, the more your body kind of gets used to it, right? Or let's say you're on Weight Watchers, right? It's not really about what you're hungry for. It's about how many points are in that certain meal. So hunger, we usually traditionally think about hunger as like stomach pangs, right? And if we don't feel that, then we're not hungry. There's so many other types of physical hunger, right? So There's hunger in terms of mood. So when you become really irritable and snappy and short, we all know that, right? There's hunger in terms of our head where we feel really kind of out of it and we can't focus at the task at hand. And then there's so many different other physical hunger cues that we don't think about, right? And So paying attention to other physical hunger cues is going to be an important part of recognizing that. So I always have my clients start in the morning. And if they're skipping breakfast, to really start to think about when they first feel hunger in the morning and what kind of physical hunger it is. Another side of hunger is also emotional hunger, right? So when we're stressed, when we're sad, we just had a fight with our mom or a boyfriend, we're bored. There's another one too. And we're eating out of pure emotion and not for any physical hunger. And that's actually just as valid, right? Like going through breakup and just needing that chocolate cake or whatever it is, right? And to cry through it and have that chocolate because it's a way of self-soothing in the moment. Emotional eating is actually very normal and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a bad thing. And so I think just getting back in touch with when you have physical hunger, when you have emotional hunger and what that feels like for you 
in the intuitive eating book, they do talk about that. So another really good place to start with intuitive eating is to buy the workbook that supplements it. So a lot of great worksheets in there for hunger and a lot of worksheets about fullness as well, because fullness and satiation are two different things, right? So I'll give you an example of that. You go out to dinner and you have this like fantastic dinner. You go to flower and water and you're like, I am so, I'm so. That's so funny. That's what I was thinking too. (laughs) (laughs) You can live right there and I miss that place. You're full and then they bring out the dessert menu. And you're like, you know what would really satisfy me? It's just a little sweet thing at the end, right? So you can be full but not satisfied. Another example of that is like you're on the couch watching Netflixing and chilling and you eat a lot of popcorn and you feel super full, but you're still kind of like hungry because you're not satisfied because it wasn't a meal, right? Didn't have all the, comp- all the components of all the macronutrients of like protein, fats, and carbohydrates but you're full because I was like so much fiber, but you're not satisfied because it wasn't a meal. So those are just two examples of the difference between like fullness and feeling satisfied or satiated. And sometimes you feel one and not the other. Sometimes you feel both and, and that's okay as well. So, and it also- I love that fullness is different than being satiated. Yeah. So yes, yes. So being full versus being satiated. Yeah. Okay. Just, just quick, quick personal question. Are you like, do you like to end your meals with savory or sweet? I usually like to end with sweet. Okay. I don't always need to, which is, and that has been a really great thing about intuitive eating for me as well, is that I used to believe that sugar was addicting. I used to believe that I was addicted to sugar and I constantly craved it all the, all the time, all the time. And with intuitive eating, I realized that the only reason I felt addicted to sugar was because I was depriving myself of it, right? So I did a lot of like the healthy baking where if I was going to bake cookies, I would have the like almond flour and coconut sugar cookies. What would happen is I would find myself eating like six of them instead of one or two, you know, because what I really wanted was just flour and sugar. And I wasn't giving that to myself because I didn't believe that white flour or white sugar could be part of a healthy diet. And it wasn't until I started allowing that back in, right, that it went off. I'm like, I'm not addicted to sugar. It's just that I haven't had it for so long that when I do have it, it's like this like manic state of like extreme pleasure and not being able to, to stop because I've been deprived of it for so, so long. Right. So now I sometimes I buy cookies and I like forget that I have them. This happened to me the other night. I was like, I opened my freezer and I was digging around for something else. And I was like, oh, I forgot I had these, like, you know, the cookie dough from Trader Joe's that you can pop in the oven. I, was like, I forgot I had these. And that was so great. <laughs> and then I had them like a couple nights later when I felt like them. But I'm definitely a sweet person. And that had been a big part of my journey coming back to allowing sugar in my life again. So, what would you say? Okay, again, devil's advocate. That's my job here. Uh, what would you say to people who want to do intuitive eating and get rid of their restrictive mindset, but are scared of gaining weight? Yes. So intuitive eating is not a diet for weight loss. Intuitive eating, you might lose weight, your weight might stay the same, or you might gain weight, 
right? So I think before you cross over into the realm of intuitive eating, there probably needs to be some work done on, on body image, right? And why the, why you do have a fear of gaining weight. Is it because you perceive that gaining weight is unhealthy? Is it because when you gain weight, you feel uncomfortable in your clothes and therefore uncomfortable in your body, right? Have you been told at some point in your life that you need to lose weight either by a doctor or a coach or a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner, whoever, right? Where has that type of thinking come from in terms of believing that you have to be a certain weight to be happy and be fulfilled and healthy? Mm. Yeah. Okay. A couple things come to mind right now. I love how I haven't even looked at our questions yet. I love where this is going. Good with it. Great. Okay. So Lena Dunham wrote a post that has stayed with me and she said something like losing weight was always on my to-do list. And that resonated because even with all the work that I've done, it's sort of like, it's still sort of something to do. And it's come back for me a little bit this quarantine. I mean, for so many reasons, we're all dealing with so much. And obviously, there's different levels of it uh, across all sort of intersections, but I've gained some weight. And it's the first time it's like, I had lost weight with my yoga practice, I was doing very intense Ashtanga yoga practice five times a week. And it was the first time I liked my body from for a while. And did I like it because it was smaller? Did I like it because I was healthier? Did I like it because I felt good in my body from exercising? I don't know, probably all of it. And now after, you know, a year of being inside, and I also stopped my yoga practice in that way, because I was being injured. And I'm not teaching anymore. It's hard for me that I'm a different size now. And it's just, you know, how do we manage that? And how do we move forward? And, you know, I don't think I'm doing, I mean, who knows, I should write my food rolls out. But you know, I I still feel like I'm mostly in a healthy mindset. And it's just like, I know that we exist in the patriarchy. I know that there's no reason why, you know, I shouldn't like anything about myself because I'm fabulous. But it comes in waves, you know? Oh, yeah. I would say number one, Follow Lizzo to have another so good. perspective. So good. <laughs> so the perspective of Leah Dunham is I'm not happy with my body and therefore I need to change it. Then following another celebrity who says, right, I accept my body and I don't need to change it. I think is also- I think Lena's done some work and she's in a better place now. Yeah. I do want to say that. But it's but yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You, right. It's kind of like for me, what really stuck with me when Kate Moss said, right, nothing tastes better than skinny. And that one stuck with me for a long time. I had, I knew people who had that on their fridge. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I have also gained weight in the pandemic. I don't like to talk about, I never really talk about numbers in my practice, but I am the heaviest weight that I have ever been in my life after this pandemic. And I have had to make multiple orders and trips to stores or returns for new clothes. And that was a big challenge as well. And that's what I work with with my clients that really, really helps with body image and body neutrality, right? Which is very different than body positivity. I would say that 
body positivity is kind of reserved for people who are fat, meaning body positivity is reserved for those who have a difficult time moving through society because they can't buy their jeans that made well because, right, they don't fit into an airplane seat, right? So people like you and me who are more straight-sized women, right, who have dealt with gaining, gaining weight beyond maybe what we're usually comfortable with, body neutrality just says that my body is the least important thing. And because I am a straight sized woman and I can shop at Madewell and I can comfortably sit in an airplane seat, if I don't want to, I actually do not have to think about my body. Imagine that, right? I had a client in San Francisco who said, you know, how can I not think about my body when I walk out of my office on Market Street? And I immediately get met with a male gaze and comments or whistles from men, right? So I think that that really focuses it back on the patriarchy as well, right? And that's a challenge too, because who do we want to look good for? And we say we want to look good for ourselves, but digging a little deeper into that, right? A way to not think about your body, going back to the body neutrality part of it, is to have clothes that fit. Because you know what's going to make you think about your body are jeans that don't fit you anymore and that you have to unbutton after you eat. Yep, yep, yep. And that hurt when you sit down, right? Yeah. Or shirts or jumpsuits of mine that no longer fit across the chest where I breathe and they're tight, right? So by going out and buying some new clothes, selling your clothes secondhand, buying clothes secondhand, right? And ha- like, there's no better feeling than putting on a pair of jeans that fit. After mm-hmm. years of trying to still fit into my old jeans, I'm like, well, they're a little tight, it's fine. And then I finally just went up in sizes. And I put on those jeans and I was like, Oh my fucking God. I hope I can swear. I was like, Oh my fucking God. Like this is the best feeling in the world. Like I can move in these jeans. I can breathe in these jeans. I can sit in these jeans. I can like eat in these jeans, you know, and it's not really about the jeans. It's the way that I feel in them too. And I think that was just like an aha moment for me where it was just like so difficult to let go of these pants. I'm like, well, you know, after the pandemic, what if I lose the weight and I fit back into them again? Let's just keep them in my closet. Realizing that that could be harmful in the long term. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that too, because I've been told, you know, I've been told to throw out the old stuff, right? To just have them in the closet waiting for you to fit back in them can be really toxic. But I also like loved some of those clothes and they're like really beautiful vintage pieces. And like, what if I do fit in them again? And they're just per, you know, you know, I I have (laughs) one of a kind, beautiful jumpsuit that I bought at West Coast Craft from a designer that I'm sure I could never get again. I took it and I got it let out. Smart. That's super smart. Yeah. Okay. There's just enough fabric by the way that it was made. I was lucky to take it out. You can't always do that if the seams are so small or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to look at your seams, right? But that's always an option as well. I think just clothes like dictate so much about how we feel about our bodies. So it's like, what if we wore clothes that allowed us? Like I have now it's the summer. And so I'm like, I'm just all about maxi dresses. I'm just all about like flowing, whatever, like let just like letting my butt jiggle underneath that. You know, hell yeah. <laughs> I just like, for me, like the big thing for me is cellulite. And I realized like, once I healed my relationship with food and stopped dieting, my cellulite came back. And that was really hard as well to see pictures of myself 
in a bathing suit with cellulite. And that became more about like, I don't have to like my cellulite, but I can accept it for what okay. it is. I'm so glad you brought up cellulite and I want to talk about it for several reasons. One, that's my thing too. And I'm small girl on top and I have a big bottom and big legs and they are not smooth and they have bumps and rivets and they don't look like they should be on a magazine cover. Okay. Two things I want to say about this. Well, first off, I was raised with mom. I hope you're not listening to this. My, or if you are, let's talk about it. (laughs) But my mom, you know, both my parents would actively criticize their bodies. Mm-hmm. Grew up with that the whole time. And, you know, both me and my sisters have had disordered eating. And my dad still is like, I'm so ugly, like all the time. And I walked around with my mom, like, you know, being embarrassed about her body. And, you know, she's doing work, you know, she's doing work on it. We're all doing work on it. But so, you know, my legs look like her legs. and. So I was just raised that that was bad, that it was embarrassing, that we should hide it. Oh, this breaks my heart right now. And now maybe I should have this conversation with my mom again. But okay. And then the second thing I want to say is this happened this weekend. And so this is why I'm kind of glad we're talking about this now. Okay. So I'm at the river with some friends and, you know, we had been quarantining. It's like, it's a sunny day. I'm in a like cute new bathing suit top. I'm it's like sunshiny and we're like having a couple beers and I'm not thinking about how my body looks. I'm with I'm with close friends and that's actually like pretty rare for me. Like I am normally thinking about how I look if I'm in my bathing suit with friends. And I'm in the water and this lady comes out to me and she says, "I just want to thank you for your courage and authenticity." Wearing a bikini is hard for me. And she's saying this to me. She's not saying this to any of the other girls who are around me. It was not meant to be malicious. She caught onto my vibes and liked my vibes and wanted to say something about it. And it's obviously all about her. Yeah, she was projecting onto you. But she's saying that because I rock in a bikini with my body, (laughs) you know? And because it's courageous to be in my body. And that sucks, right? Like that <laughs> sucks because it is seen as courageous to wear a bikini with belly rolls or back rolls or cellulite or whatever, right? It is seen as courageous and that fucking sucks. And that's even more reason why if you ever choose to become a mother or I work with a lot of moms as well, right? To make that choice around your daughter or your son to not make comments about your body because you genuinely do accept it. And it doesn't need to be those comments, right? So that the next generation can learn that it's okay to have cellulite and it's okay to have bigger thighs and it's okay to have fat rolls and jiggle and you know, like, I mean, gosh, I could talk about so many movie scenes. Like I'm very aware now when I watch movies of when the body image like conversation comes up in a movie. Like I was watching, now I'm going to blank on the name of the movie, of course, because I brought it up, but it's an older movie with Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate where they like travel together. And anyway, there's a scene where they're in dressing rooms together and they're talking about the part of their underneath the arm 
here, which people can't see when listening, but it's like, what do you, what do you call that? And that kind of like jiggles when you do the wing. Like, the like wing. your tricep, but like. Yeah, the wings. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were talking about like, they did this thing where they put their arms up and they would say 28 for perky boobs, right? Or 22 for perky boobs and arms down, 28 for saggy boobs. And they go like 22, 28, 22, 28. And then they would look at the wings and go like this and say, what is this? What is this? And they would like laugh about it. And I was just like, oh gosh, like that is so, because I, mm-hmm. I watched that movie when I was in my 20s, right? And I was made to believe that everything had to be perky, everything had to be tight, right? And that as you get older and those, your body starts to fail you, right? It's this idea that like your body is like failing you as you get older and things start to sag and jiggle and move a little bit more, right? And it is like really, really, really fucking sad that that has to be seen as bravery to be out in a bikini, right? Because we exist in a society that idealizes thinness like so much, you know? And when we think about the information that we take in, not only in like film or TV shows, but man, social media, right? There's some really great accounts on social media that talk about angles, how people or models when they pose for photos and angles that are used and certain lighting that is used, right? So when you're in direct sunlight, you can see your cellulite a lot more than when you're in low light or in shadow, right? An ex-boyfriend of mine was in LA one time. He was meeting with a friend of his that actually was in film and he walked out of the editing room to go to the bathroom. And as he was passing down the hallway, he was kind of looking in other, other rooms. And one of the rooms was editing an Iggy Azalea, a music video. And they were editing out her cellulite in the music video. And I was like, gosh, that is so awful because then it like Iggy Azalea has a beautiful round luscious bottom feels that she can't show her cellulite in the music video. And not only that, but then it makes it very inattainable for women to believe that they can have a Kardashian butt without cellulite. Right. And it's just, it's just wicked when you think about it, because then that just means that you can never win. And so of course we want to lose weight. Of course it's on our to-do list to lose weight because we're shown all of these body ideals that are unachievable and unattainable. So what is the solution here to all of this? (laughs) (laughs) So the solution, well, if we want to talk about like on an individual level or like on a systematic. Both, both, maybe both. Yeah. Systematic is so much harder and bigger, right? Because systematically it's diet culture, it's the patriarchy, it's, the wellness culture. I was like, wellness. The wellness world is like die culture 2.0. You know, the system. It is, and it's like hidden too. Uh, it's yeah, so and it's like mm. yeah, it's like it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I hate hearing that. Like it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's a diet. Yeah. Someone like wanted to work with me to like help promote their like a workshop or something, and I had to say no, and they were like, but it's not they kind of caught on and they were like, but it's not a diet. And I was like, Mm -hmm. if you have to say that, then it probably is a diet, (laughs) you know, like if you have to explain that it probably is. But the thing about like the systems that we operate in, we can also bring like capitalism into it too. Cause you think about how much money people have made off of whole 30 or paleo or keto or whatever it is. Right. 
a lot of that is like marketing and playing on, on people's insecurities. But diet culture is the pool that we swim in every single day, meaning it surrounds us. So we can choose to climb out of the pool, right? To go the intuitive eating route, to honor our bodies, to accept our bodies, to respect our bodies, right? And we can look back into that pool and laugh at it and say like, what a bunch of fucking BS that is, right? But it's still there. It's kind of like you're talking about anxiety and I've dealt with anxiety myself. When you work on anxiety, you learn all the thing, all your triggers that to stay away from in order to keep your anxiety and the symptoms at bay, right? You can step away from whatever those triggers are. With diet culture, you can't step away from it. It's there. It's there with the woman who walks up to you on the beach and compliments you on being brave in your bikini, right? It's there in the movies, the TV shows, the social media, at the doctor's offices. It's everywhere, right? So we're not going to be able to get away from it. But I think that systematically on a level, right, the more people who fight against it, the more people who choose not to diet, who choose not to change their bodies, right? Like a big part of my health coaching practice for me, right, is fighting against that system by if, like, if I can get more women to stop dieting and to start focusing on things other than their bodies, right? Like, do we, like, from the corporate level, like, do we think that men go into boardrooms and talk about their diet? No. No. We're talking about strategy. And you have so much more time. I mean, imagine all the time that we spend hating ourselves and like what we would do with that time if we got it back. Change the world and not your body. Yeah. I always say, I'm like, change the world and not your body. Imagine how much more women can do. And that's actually how you start to topple those systems, right? And I think, yeah, I think back to like the movie thing that you brought up too about like women bonding really over their bodies and that they don't like them. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to my mom about this too. And it's like, really, it's a generational thing and maybe it's not. And it's like certain bubbles and whatever, but like just the bonding over hating ourselves thing. And like, I've been there. I've been there in middle school. Like I've been there. I'm not about that life anymore. And if like, you know, it's uncomfortable now if someone brings up like, you know, if someone is like, saying something about their bodies, like in, in a group, it, it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah, it's like, totally. how do you and like, I'm not dealing with that with my, you know, current friendships, we're not we're not talking about that. But like, when someone does too, it's like, it's even because I'm so not used to that anymore. It's a super trigger. And it's and how do you respond to these things? It's really Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it can be really triggering. And that's just having a conversation with that friend on the side and letting them know that that is triggering. For you, for yeah. people to talk about their diet or talk about their bodies in a certain way, right? Depending on your closest with that friend, that's just boundary setting, right? Totally. And I think a lot of it is not trying to change that for them, but to lead by example. And I actually think that there's a lot of great things that come out of you being at the river and in your bikini and not thinking about your body because then your friends see you doing that and they feel more comfortable doing that as well, right? The more that you're comfortable and confident in your body, people pick up on that, right? And they're like, oh, if, if she can do that, like, so so can I, you know? That's yeah. Mine too. Or even think about it, like, when you're, like, out eating, 
too. And you see someone eating something that you would never like, I have never ordered that. She's just sitting there just eating that bowl of pasta or whatever. Like maybe I can try and order a bowl of pasta too, or just what, whatever it is. And I think that goes a long way for like mothers and daughters as well, especially because I, I do work with a lot of moms with, with younger children who are kind of like in that range, right. Of like three to six years old, where it's very like impactful to hear their mom talk about their diet, talk about the way they eat, talk about what they don't like about their body. And instead of trying to teach your daughter certain ways of thinking about it, just be the example. Just be the example because they'll pick up on that. Just like just like you did, right? Just like I did watching my mom buy all the cellulite creams, you know, for her her legs and butt. Just embracing it instead. And I think that like you know, one thing that gaining weight has done for me that I actually really love and that I did not expect was that it made me feel like a lot more confident sexually, which I never expected that. And that like now when my current boyfriend like grabs on to like my, the fat on my sides or my stomach, like during sex, I'm like, yes, like more cushion for the pushing, you know, I love it. I actually love that. And I never, (laughs) I was like, I didn't even think I would feel empowered by that, but I actually like totally do. And I thought that a lot of that came with weight gain would be like that not confidence of being naked. But now I'm just like, yes, you know, bring it. So I think it's like different for everybody. And I think that I have good and bad body days too, as well. You know, I have days of like frustration, you know, thinking about like restriction, how I'm going to work out to change it. And then, but the, the individual fight against it is just being like, I don't have to do that. You know? Like I really felt like a tuna melt today, like just a great tuna melt, sourdough bread with the cheese, you know, and everything, avocado on it, you know. And I had this thought, I was like, you know, I woke up a little bloated and like my jeans weren't really fitting that well. Should I really be eating the tuna melt? <laughs> you know, and I was like, fuck yeah, I should be eating the tuna melt because that sounds good. You know, like I'm just going to wear my stretchy pants today. Like that's okay, you know. And so I think it's just like the individual fight against it. Like every time that the voice comes into your head, because it will, you know, like take a back seat. Like you can come along for this car ride, but you can't give me directions. You can't change the radio station. You can't tell me where we're going. Right. And those tell you like, shut up and be quiet in the back seat. Because the reality is, is that voice is not going to go away completely. Not in the world that we exist in that constantly tells you that you need to be smaller and quieter as a woman. No way. Snaps to that. Snaps. Okay. Well, so, I mean, we didn't get to any of my questions. Which is great. And so, I mean, you have so much like business wisdom. So like, maybe we'll just have to have you on another time because all of this is gold and we don't need to water it down with any of your yeah. business advice. I, I mean, not, not to water it down, but like, this is amazing and complete. Okay. So where can people find you? Yeah. Where can people find you? People can find me at balancedbymolly.com and also on Instagram at balancedbymolly. I have a lot of tips and wisdom that I share on my Instagram account just on how to overcome that voice, that, that consistent voice about dieting and just sharing my experiences and also just funny videos against diet culture as well. But yeah, yeah, you're on TikTok too, aren't yeah, you? I'm doing some videos on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love which it. Is, which is fun. What a fun platform to do. It's that. wild. It's wild. It's a wild time. It's a wild time. TikTok's a dark hole. You can fall down. But, you know, one, one thing I will say about intuitive eating is that if I didn't pursue the path of healing my relationship with food and to stop the restriction, I wouldn't have launched my own business. Because what we talked about is I had to clear that space in order to have the energy and have the focus and have the creativity and the time to leave my corporate job and not only launch my own business, but to do it successfully and to make enough money to survive off of. And so I think that's a really important takeaway here. Again, going back to like change the world, not your body. If you have any creative pursuits or endeavors that you have put off for the longest time, right? I mean, there's no time like the present to start to think about what is taking up that space now for you and why you're not doing that. And that was a big thing for me that I had to overcome in order to make that space to start to start my business. And so that's all I want to do now is just help women, right, create that space to stop the obsessive thinking about food and then ask themselves, what would I do with that time and that brain space if I didn't spend that thinking about food in my body? Yes. Cue my hunger cues, though. Ready for dinner right now. <laughs> Okay, but seriously, this has been so amazing. I'm so inspired. And we will have to have you back because I know you have tons of business knowledge. So you all go follow her on both TikTok and Instagram. Is your handle the same on TikTok? It's the same. Yeah, I have no TikTok followers. It's funny, like I don't. But yeah, give me some more followers. I'm like, every time I get like one follow, I'm like, oh my God, I'm famous. And I'm like, oh, me too. <laughs> but I love all your dancing. I'm really going to embrace tap dancing myself on TikTok. Yes. So <laughs> I would love to see that. That's awesome. Yeah. But I love that. Okay. So everyone follow Molly and we'll link the food rules worksheet. Yeah. I'll email that to you right now. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Molly. Good to see you. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.